It's showtime, folks. Son now. Ali to the left. Son on a mission to go alone. This is sensational. World class. We got a great show today. We're gonna bring in Rita Cinema to review The Little Things, and then we're gonna bring in Dr. M. Sage to review Cobra Kai Season 3, and then we're gonna get into some Super Bowl props with Dr. M. Sage. All right, we're gonna go to our movie review with Rita Cinema. We got an HBO Max box office feature limited release, The Little Things. All right, Rita Cinema. What did you make of The Little Things? Lots of good actors. Was it a good film? The Little Things is not a good film. <laughs> um, actually, I was super disappointed in this movie. I'd really looked forward to kind of a change of pace from some of the less action-oriented movies we've been reviewing recently and, and a change of pace to this crime thr thriller. So now I, I want to ask, how do you make a lousy movie with three award-winning actors and a story that's been marketed as a taut psychological crime thriller? <laughs> well, I think writer and director John Lee Hancock has certainly managed to do that. Uh, I thought this movie just fell terribly flat and, I, you know, I hate to say it, it just frankly reminded me of some of the cliched crime stories on network TV that, that are on over and over again. I sort of felt like I was watching a TV cop show and, and I'm sorry to have to say that, but <clears throat> let me tell a little bit about the story. Uh, Joe Deacon, uh, played by Denzel Washington. Uh, is a disgraced former L.A. cop who now works in the sheriff's office of Kern County, California, which is uh, where Bakersfield, California is. And his boss sends him to Los Angeles, much to his chagrin, uh, to collect evidence for a case. Um, uh, Deke, as he's known, Deke, um, lives alone in kind of a beatable house out on the outskirts of town, and he's far away from people. So now we're, you know, we're starting some of the cliched stuff that I, I mentioned. Um, you can tell he's kind of down and out. And as the story goes on, it's revealed that Deke um, was an LAPD PD murder detective, a lead detective. Um, who, we call it homicide in the business. Oh, excuse me. That is right. He was a homicide <laughs> detective. Uh, and um, he lost his marriage. He had a heart attack. He had to leave town because of a particularly brutal case that he couldn't solve. And he's haunted by this case. And uh, we find out once he gets to L.A. that uh, to, he's pretty much unwanted by his former colleagues when he shows up there. Um, basically, Deke is supposed to get um, this evidence. Uh, he's been sent there to pick up evidence for his uh, county sheriff's office. And he's supposed to get that and what he came for and then go back. But as it turns out, they gave him a hard time, won't give it to him. And then his boss says, we don't need it after all. But he's there just long enough to get to see everybody again, and he doesn't return home. And instead, he gets drawn back into a case uh, that involves the serial killing of a woman and, and um, similar to what uh, really nearly destroyed him when he worked for the LAPD. And, you know, that's the first place where I'm sort of like, yeah, right, sure, they're going to let him just come in and start working with him. 
Um, and he ends up helping this guy who is now in the same job that he was in, uh, Jim Baxter. And Jim Baxter is played by Rami Malek. Um, and he starts helping him with this serial killer case that's terrifying the city, apparently. And I will say that the opening to this show, I, I mean, I just started telling the plot summary from the point of view of Joe being working in, in um, with this sheriff's office near Bakersfield. But the movie actually starts with a fairly good, I mean, it's to me the only scene in the movie that's really kind of edge of your seat uh, you know, nerve wracking kind of scene uh, with this woman who's being chased by, um, you know, what we end up um, finding out is probably this serial killer anyway, and she gets away. But it's the opening of the movie is quite good. But anyway, Jim Baxter, played by Rami Malek, is working on this case. And there are other women who have been killed, um, you know, by this serial killer. They, um, and they're working on that. Um, it's not very long before they discover that this loner named Albert Smarma, um, played by Jared Leto, is their likely suspect. And the story then really, rather than focusing so much on the murders in the case, becomes more of like a cat and mouse game between these two detectives and this really creepy guy, Sparma. And it's more about their interaction, really, uh, at, at that point. Um, and this is part of my problem with the movie, too, that it I think you don't really know what it's about uh, at, at some points, including by the time it comes to the end. Um, and uh, anyway, this uh, really creepy guy, Smarma, he's a very disturbing character who uh, appears to kind of get off on playing games with the cops. And you don't really know if that's what he's all about or if he really is a serial killer. Um, so Deke and Baxter form a bond and work together, but by the end of the movie, I'm leaving a lot out here. They do a lot of sitting in their car, you know, um, trailing this guy. Uh, and um, anyway, but by the end of the movie, uh, Baxter, um, this young detective who was all get up and go, is starting to turn into kind of what happened to Deke when he was a detective. He's nerve-wracked he's sick he's having problems with his family he you know he this whole case is haunting him and um and he's mad at this he knows he's got this smarma guy but he can't nail him and all of this kind of uh, uh, uh thing um so i'll give spoiler alert here i am going to tell a little bit here about the ending um through a series of what i feel are somewhat unbelievable actions that take place in the movie. Baxter goes off alone into the country in a car with Smarma. And um, after um, they interact doing, he's digging up, looking for bodies and all this kind of stuff for a while. Um, they're way out in the boonies and um, where no one can see them or find them out. And um, and I, ha I will say before he got in the car to go off with uh, Smarma, uh, he had been on a stakeout with um, Deke and Deke had gone off to a little convenience store to get some coffee and batteries or something like that. And that's when uh, Smarma goes off alone with, with, I mean, when Deke goes off alone with Smarma. So anyway, what happens though, is that um, Baxter kills uh, Albert Smarma and um, not in self-defense, he kills him out of anger. And so basically he's murdered him. <laughs> um, so Deke follows them and tracks him down and helps um, to bury Smarma out there and then tells Baxter exactly what to do to carry on through this and not get in trouble and nobody find out. And he tells him it's, and I put in quotes, the little things that will get you and therefore the title of the movie. And um, so you're, you are to surmise that Baxter has kind of turned into Deke at this point, you know, he's gone a little crazy. And um, Deke then goes back and proceeds to collect all of Smarma's things out of his apartment, bags them up, burns them back at his place in Kern County. Um, and he sends in the mail a hair barrette that belonged to one of the girls who was killed. He sends that to Baxter. Uh, to try to make him think that he did get the right man, that Smarma was the killer. Because actually, we really don't know by the end of it whether he was or not. But you also find out um, when when Deke is burning all uh, Smarma's stuff, 
that he has a new pack of hair barrettes and he really just sent that barrette to um, Jim Baxter to make him feel better and make him think he had killed that he had, when he murdered Sparma, that he had gotten away with, you know, he had killed the killer. Um, so that's a little twist at the end. It didn't make the movie any better. At the same time, um, the movie at, you know, at the end here, it feels a lot at the end and just kind of, I don't know, throws things a little off. But at the same time, the movie reveals um, Deke's memory of this previous case he had been haunted by, where he and the, de he, the detectives kill one of the female victims. And this was many years ago. And they all helped cover it up. And that's what got him out of town. And, you know, they were never found out. Um, I think the only person who really knew it was the coroner, a, a woman in a character in the movie. Um, and of course, this is what has haunted Deke. And now, of course, the cover up will haunt, the cover up of Smarma's killing will haunt, haunt um, Baxter. So that's the story. Well, see, I, I didn't have as quite as much of a problem with this film. I, I didn't like it. Uh, but uh, I, I felt the first, let's go two thirds of the film actually played out okay. I, I was a little disappointed we didn't focus too much on the murders, but but I understood where they were going. Um, basically, uh, they were just trying to copy the movie Seven and- uh, no, Poorly copied. Then. Well, that's what I was <laughs> going to say. Uh, if you're trying to copy Seven, you better be able to do Fincher things and uh, really pull that off. And they didn't quite pull off the uh, Seven thing. But uh, I did like this movie for a nostalgia factor. Uh, it goes back to sort of a late 90s, early 2000s. It does take place in the 90s, but uh, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, where they were pretty much churning out these serial killer movies at least two to three a year off of the success of Seven and Silence of the Lambs earlier in the 90s. So uh, movies like uh, Kiss the Girls, Taking Lives, you know, uh, Denzel had been into Bone Collector, uh, Fallen. Mm. I mean, there there was a long list that they just churned out from about uh, 97 onward. I think that's why I described it as cliched. <laughs> well, yes. It's not very new. <laughs> but uh, I, I think the nostalgia comes actually from uh, not necessarily going to the theater and watching this, but... Uh, going to Blockbuster and renting, <laughs> you know, your bad little serial killer movie. Uh -huh, I, we're I, living in the past. <laughs> well, all I know is we rented Kiss the Girls a lot. So <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but anyway, I thought the first two thirds of this film is was okay if they set up the ending correctly. And that's where the movie falls flat is where the ending is a complete dud. And I don't think they even knew where they wanted to go with the ending because they sort of red herring so many different things. Yeah. And we basically get the worst and dumbest ending possible for any of this. Well, it works to, to you know, there's no tension built up because you, yes. it's, you don't go in any specific direction. Well, and you, you mentioned it. We don't even 100% know this man is the actual killer. Right. He just could be some random creepy dude, which, you know. Which I think maybe he was. I don't which know. might be okay to kill him. I don't know. I'm not judge and jury here, but yeah, he possibly. Well, no one's ever going to find out. He's buried out in the middle of nowhere. He possibly didn't kill any of these women. Uh, so I think that hurt it. And uh, like I said, if you wanted to go the seven route, you needed to go the seven route. And uh, at the end, when, you know, he's mentioning his good looking family, basically when he's digging up a bunch of holes, <laughs> he needed to dig up his dead family. And then you hit him with the shovel. And then, you know, Denzel comes in and gets his redemption by saving the yeah. cop who murdered somebody off of his uh, mistake when he murdered somebody. So um, much like Disturbing Young Woman uh, last week, where promising young woman. promising young woman uh, <laughs> she was disturbing <laughs> yeah, she was disturbed as well but uh promising young woman which is also sort of a nostalgia late 90s film uh it hit the ending perfectly and i think that's where you know you go from a movie that is okay to watchable once or twice 
to a movie that's much better if you hit that ending. And I just didn't think this hit that ending. Well, you know, when I read my plot summary, it does sound like an intriguing story, but the plot just doesn't unfold well. And there's just, to me, there was just no tension buildup in the story. And there just seemed to be so many dead ends too. You you just kept waiting for some buildup and buildup and it doesn't come. Um, I thought actually, you, you thought it was trying to be like seven. I thought it was trying to be like True Detective. Um, you know, the TV series. Well, True I Detective. think that was trying to be like seven. So oh, well, perhaps. And I mean, maybe the first series of yes. True Detective where, you know, which was chilling and tension filled and you couldn't wait for the next episode. And I just didn't feel that way. I mean, this was a movie, but I just didn't feel that way about this movie. It just kept dying kind of. In well, I, I think that's where it got off track too, is the last half, uh, essentially after the girl is found in the, uh, I don't know, reservoir, I guess, yeah. the runoff. Uh, we don't really hear any more about the yeah, murders. I was uh, like, what happened? Barrette girl from <laughs> yeah. running, we never even right. see again. All we see is a 30 second interview yeah. of a family and a barrette. So I think that's where it starts to drop is where they sort of lose connection and lose what they want. And that's where they don't uh, know how they want to end this film. Right. And it just, I don't think they know what it's about. Is it about the police officers and what they've done? Or is it about the, you know, the serial killings and well, what they're doing to solve the murders? Yes, I don't know. but that's where I get the seven vibe is they yeah. want the, you know, they want Jared Leto to be Kevin Spacey slash Hannibal Lecter. And yeah. while, you know, uh, if you want your creepy guy to be the method actor, you go and find Jared Leto. Uh, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's yeah. bad. I did not love the performance here, uh, but I mean, he did his job. He was creepy weirdo guy, but uh, I, I didn't think it pulled like uh, Kevin Spacey did in a seven and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I haven't seen seven in a long time, but it, I can tell you it scared the dickens well, that's what out I of mean. me. This film needed to be that dark and yeah. that sick. This didn't even come close. That's, it doesn't work it, yeah. really if you're making a serial killer film and it's sort of breezy light and you just get a bunch of cops, you know, making poor decisions in their lives. Just as an aside, let me tell you a quick story about how I watched the movie Seven. I didn't really know uh, a lot about it. And I was at some kind of meeting somewhere and I was staying alone in a room in a hotel. And I decided to watch a movie and I watched Seven by myself in a hotel. And I tell you, I slept zero that night. That movie scared the dickens out of me and I couldn't sleep the whole night. I will never forget that. And I have not watched well, Seven ever again. As long as you hadn't committed any Seven Deadly Sins. <laughs> well, I was scared to death. Or, uh, spoiler alert, been pregnant Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway, I have to agree. I just did not think that this was the other thing with the movie. I didn't think the performances that were that well, good. <clears throat> I thought Denzel's was okay. I did not love Remy Malek. And um, I, I know it's bad to say, but I really haven't loved Remy Malek in a whole lot of things. I thought his turn <laughs> as Mr. Robot, uh, the TV show was solid. But other than that, I have not been a huge fan of Remy Malek. And yes, every- He was the greatest Freddie Mercury Yes, we're ever. all going to go Freddie Mercury <laughs> performance, but uh, I'm pretty sure you could have, pulled any uh, British man and put him in that and it would have been no, fine because no. guess what? Freddie Mercury is a cool guy and yet dance around in a white tank and sing his songs and we're all going to love it. So, Well, let me just say, I Washington was convincing in the role, but I thought he was held back by the lack of a good story and by all these tired thematic elements. And, you know, he's, I mean, how many times have we seen a story with a broken down cop and how many times has that broken down cop been played by Denzel Washington? I mean, it just seemed like the same old, same old. And Malik just never shows much emotion and is just uninteresting and unconvincing in, in this role. I, I, I like him as an actor, but I, he, he just failed to, to perform for me in, in this particular, I mean, perform up to standard. I don't know. I just wanted some emotion and I didn't, he was supposed to be emotion, emoting, but I didn't feel it. And um, I also thought he, I just didn't have chemistry between Denzel Washington and Rami Malik. Those two characters, it just, 
it wasn't Riggs and Murtaugh for sure. You know, I mean, it just doesn't come off as great partnership. And I don't know whether it's the two actors or the two characters in the story or both. And Jared Leto, who is definitely now typecast as a creepy weirdo guy. Um, I will say this, at least he wasn't sleepwalking through the movie, which I felt like Malik and in Washington were a little bit. But he was a little over the top with all those vacant stares and piercing stares and all that grimy hair. I don't know if that was his fault. So these are three good actors, and I'm so I'm going to lay the blame on the director. He did well, not go for the best I was going to say, performances from um, these three. John Lee actors. Hancock, yes. who is the director, is a bit of a mixed bag um, director. Uh, his first uh, like real big film was the rookie the disney film with uh, dennis quaid and then oh, he goes yeah. to the alamo uh which was a giant bomb if uh, anybody remembers and then yeah. his actual big film that made him famous but uh, i think if we watch it in hindsight maybe we the blind side he's the director oh, of the blind yes. side okay and, now i'm getting it a little bit because i didn't but, do my research there but uh but then we go on a run here uh yeah. which i think sort of fits uh where you see his movies have parts that are good, but are not. He does Saving Mr. Banks, which I thought mm, was a, a good movie, good movie mm -hmm. but I think it fell a little flat. I did yeah. not think it got quite the performances out of Emma Thompson and Tom Hanks right. that you would have thought. Then right. you got The Founder, the uh, Michael Keaton film that where he's the McDonald's. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Uh -huh. Which also was a film that uh -huh. had good parts, but also yeah. fell a little flat. Yeah, and, but Keaton was good in it. Yes, but I think much like it was didn't. Keaton, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, he wasn't the he was no. the guy who bought the McDonald's um, and turned it into the franchise. Uh, uh, but uh, and then he did the uh, Netflix movie, which actually I kind of enjoyed, The Highwayman, uh, with uh, Woody oh, Harrelson. Actually, and that was a really Kevin good movie. Kevin Costner. Uh, where they hunt down Bonnie See, I would Clyde. give that one a yes. lot of stars. That was exciting and fun to watch it, and a good movie. Mike Rankin uh, Netflix movie. This one was guy. a put you to sleep kind of movie but that's and what, very disappointing. He seems a little, he can hit high points, but there are plenty of dud films in there. Also, uh, you'll notice there are a lot of Disney films in there. This is his first, well, The Highwayman is sort of dark, but I mean, it's uh, not dark, dark like this, but this is his first sort of, really uh, entrance into dark uh, serial killer type films. The rest are Disney. But see, movies. I didn't think they got to dark in this. They That's were trying I mean. to. It they was were, just- They were trying to. It was just he so just flat and so- know. It, here's a, It's essentially a Disney serial killer movie. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> that can't exist. The man made the rookie and now he's making a serial killer film. You know, the blind side meets serial killer. Oh, it's a, well. it's, it's a, too bad because I really wanted to enjoy this movie. And I, I don't want to pan it too much because goodness gracious, to pan a movie that Denzel Washington is in is like, I don't know, you just don't want to be the person who does that. But um and I think, you know, people can probably watch it and well, I, enjoy it. I will say this. You better go in with low expectations. I will probably watch it again, but um, it will be one where I just watch and fall asleep to because I can yeah. fall asleep there are, to these kind of movies. Uh, now it's, I don't do it quite as much uh, with the uh, envision of the Discovery ID channel that just plays uh, Dateline shows of murder mysteries. Frankly, there are a lot of other Denzel Washington cop movies that I would watch yes, again. I think over I was, this one. I so think I'll I just watch those. The Bob Collector and Fallen are both much yes, better. Yeah. If you're in the genre of serial killer film, uh, also uh, early Denzel Ricochet well, just, with John Lithgow. Yeah, just his his cop films are all yes. where he's a detective or a cop or a bodyguard or whatever he's doing. He's usually quite good and. It wasn't that he was bad in this. It's just the movie wasn't very good. Yes, it it fell flat. I think uh, I think it had promise, but it did not reach that promise. All right. So, rating wise, where are you going with this? Oh, I hate to do this, but I'm giving it a three, and it only got a three because of Denzel. I just can't, you know, go lower than that. Well, I'm not as bad. I just put it middle of the road, uh, typical serial killer film and gave it a five. Okay. You know, uh, nothing special. Uh, but I mean, 
you can watch it. Everybody can watch it. I don't think they will be. I don't think it's a movie you can you just turn off because well, I'm glad so I didn't pay a lot of money to see it in the theater. Well, I don't think you and the <laughs> and uh, take the risk of getting COVID. While you and the it. librarians club were going to <laughs> go attend this film, so I'm not sure that was too much no. of a worry. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so uh, next week we got one night in Miami and. Uh, Oh God! The uh, Midnight Sky, the boring George Clooney movie oh, from Netflix. Oh boy, wait to hear! <laughs> One Night Sky, One Night Sky. I, they probably should think about changing the title. But uh, anyway, uh, One Night in Miami, One Night Sky, the, night, the Midnight Sky, the Midnight Sky. <laughs> we aren't going to get that right. So uh, the Midnight Sky, the Midnight Sky, One Night in Miami. Next week, a double feature on Know-It-All. All right, we're going to go to Dr. M. Sage and bring her back. We've been off for a little bit of time, and we're going to do our TV review for Cobra Kai Season 3. Dr. Sage, are you ready to get back into some reviews? I'm ready. I'm ready and able. I am ready, and I am mostly able, I think, uh, these days. All right. So Cobra Kai Season 3, what did you think? I like Cobra Kai in general. I think Season 1 is their best season by far. Season 3, it's losing me a little bit. Um, Cobra Kai, for people who haven't watched it yet, is a karate action show. Has a little bit of everything for everyone, actually. A little bit of throwback 80s, a little bit of teen soap opera, and a lot of karate action. It is a sequel to The Karate Kid, 35 years in the making, and rather amazingly, has all of the same actors that The Karate Kid had. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I, I I really liked season one and season two. Season three, I thought uh, dropped off. Now, I think a little bit can be uh, with the situation. The show shot while it was a YouTube show and uh, they decided to quit creating content and then uh, they sold it to Netflix. So um, I just think maybe it got a little uh, lost and then uh, any further seasons will be shot with Netflix. And uh, also I thought in the show, it's sort of, like closed and they're going to sort of restart uh, uh, with a more Netflixy style show than a uh, YouTube show. But I really did love season one and two. Season three I thought was good, but uh, I did not think it lived up uh, to the standard that seasons one and two uh, definitely put out there. No, it went in a very dark uh, direction. I thought that was unfortunate, actually, because season one and two had a lot of comedy and a lot of action, but weren't quite so dark. I would have had no problem allowing an eight-year-old to watch season one or two. Well, maybe a little problem, but I would not have wanted them to watch season three. I thought it got a little abusive of the kids. After a while, I, I was binge watching it, and I was like, man, this is getting a little bit hard to watch. I think the crease story is just, they're pushing it a little too hard and I kind of got uncomfortable by the end. Yeah, I was I was gonna say, uh, I love John Kreese as a character. He, he's really fun, but uh, I, I think there was probably too much crease in season three. I mean, even if you go back to the movies that were, you know, made in the eighties, Kreese uh, is a bit character who pops up for, you know, he comes in, he overacts, he, you know, he has a, you know, big scene and then you don't see him for a long sequence where this one, uh, he was in a lot of scenes and uh, he was a, he was the whole essential part of season three. And I think that it, it begins to scare you when you have a, a whole lot of crease and then you, of course they, uh, you know, film the Vietnam flashbacks and you're like, well, this is now getting into deer hunter movie territory, here. Yes. you know, it, and it was really the whole season seemed to revolve around crease. I prefer the seasons when they revolve around Johnny and Daniel, of course, I think, I think Daniel is becoming, Oh, 
a little bit of a wuss more than I would like him to be. And the whole sequence of going to Okinawa was just like, I know they want to get those scenes from Karate Kid 2 in there, but wow, that was really contrived. Yeah, uh, that was, I was going to bring that up as probably my least favorite part. I, I, I love Karate Kid too. I actually somehow might like it uh, more than Karate Kid, the first one, uh, which seems weird, but <laughs> I, I love Karate Kid too. But uh, the way they put that in there, I, I just didn't love it. Uh, some of it might be because they didn't have, you know, Mr. Miyagi, Pat, you know, to go back there with him. I that might lose a little bit, um, you know, the girl character where they just run into her as she's doing her dance in the mall. I'm like, okay, you know, while it's fun to see her, cause you know, I doubt anyone has seen anything she's ever been in since Karate Kid too. Exactly. Um, the only part I did like is when they brought back the villain and he was a, you know, angry, happy guy now, <laughs> which I thought was actually what carried it and made it a little bit uh, more fun than the uh, rest of the Okinawa scenes. Yeah, that was definitely the most watchable part because he was pretty funny. He was kind of awesome. And, you know, he's he's uh, whipping Daniel's butt, which yes. I like to see sometimes. Duh. So um, I thought that um, the whole thing about all of a sudden he's losing his business and he has to go to this meeting in Japan to get it back. It's like, wh what are the writers thinking here? This is really totally unbelievable. Yeah, I, I think they sort of, well, they probably didn't paint themselves into a corner with today's market. You'd think of it if a bunch of karate people trained a bunch of kids to fight and then one of them got <laughs> paralyzed. They probably would crush his business. But uh, the fact that the only place he could buy cars from was this one place in Okinawa seemed a little bit... Um, a little bit wonky and that the yeah. other car dealer in this small little California <laughs> city was the only one who could, you know, have the exclusive deal. I, I'm not quite sure that's how capitalistic business works. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet that was a little hard to believe. Um, I also thought that they really didn't do well with Robbie's story. He had been such a good character in seasons one and two and three. They toss him in jail and that's sort of it, you know, juvie. And it's like, okay, he's got nothing to do there. So I thought that that didn't really work so well either. I know they yeah. did that so that Miguel and, and uh, um, Daniel's daughter could get back together. But um, I don't know. Yeah, the, the <laughs> only thing I sort of liked about that storyline is we did get Crease sort of coming in there to, you know, brainwash him and get him onto the uh, side of Cobra Kai. So I thought that had a little more realistic touch where, you know, uh, Robbie doesn't trust, you know, his dad, which, you know, I have understand. And he doesn't trust Daniel because he's the ones who called the cops on him in the first place. So then in swoops crease to try to, you know, brainwash him into moving in there, which I, I, I sort of liked that storyline, but uh, I, I, the Robbie storyline, I, haven't liked uh that's probably been my least favorite one since season one so i don't like robbie yeah. <laughs> i i agree i think i think it's kind of the weakest storyline miguel and and johnny offered some nice comic relief although after you watch it and you look back you're like oh my god i was laughing at an older you know a, a middle-aged man dropping a kid on a on <laughs> But when he can't walk, you know, you're kind of like, oh, that's a little cringy after laughing yeah. at it the first time around. <laughs> I do think that was probably the best sequences throughout the show, though, is, uh, you know, uh, Miguel uh, interacting with him and sort of rebuilding his confidence and being able to walk again. That sort of had the most, you know, like Karate Kid feel where it's make believe, but there's a little realism in there. So I, I did like that. I, I also actually liked the little rivalry part between the two girls who, you know, are on different sort of sides of the track uh, type thing where the one girl who's trying to take care of her family and then you got uh, Daniel's daughter who's a little bit of a 
Richie Snob. And I, I did like those two sort of having a, a little bit of a rivalry. I thought that storyline was uh, pretty decent in uh, season three, though it, it does get a little dark there. Yeah, Tori gets very dark. Uh, you have to kind of wonder where the heck they're going to go with this and just how dark can they get in season four or maybe they can take it back. I, I enjoyed season one with the karate tournament and everything, and we've kind of gotten away from that into just fighting in hallways and breaking into people's houses and fighting. And I don't know. I thought that the tournament was more karate kid, more throwback, kind of more fun. Yeah, I, I think maybe that's where, you know, like season four will start to rebuild it back into getting it into tournament and uh, interwhite. Oh twining these rivalries uh, back and forth. Uh, what did you make of the uh, Elizabeth Shue appearance? I was surprised that they got Elizabeth Shue to come back. I thought it was pretty funny, but man, she's in and out. Boom. Um, I thought that they did a good job, though, with the whole country club Christmas party thing. I, it was, I thought it was pretty fun. I was surprised to see that she actually did that. Yeah, I... I, I loved it because I love Elizabeth Shue and she came on and of course she's great. And I think she was mm -hmm. every uh, young male's fantasy in the eighties or at least in the <laughs> top five of girls of oh, the yeah. 80s that young boys liked. But um, I, I just wish it'd been more because uh, I thought she came in and was just awesome, especially the country club scenes. That was also one of my favorite scenes uh, mm -hmm. in the season. That was really good. I, I do wish maybe season four she comes back and is just a angry vixen and tries to break up the Daniel marriage and then <laughs> tries to set those two back they, at a rivalry, but that probably is too much to ask. Uh, well, they left it open for that. I'm yeah, just not I know. sure Elizabeth Shue wants to stick around on a series like Cobra Kai. I don't yes, know. Nor does she really need to, though. Actually, none of these people really need to. I think they're all doing quite well um i don't know about that have you really seen them do much before cobra kai i mean ralph macchio well yeah but they doing? they don't have to that was that was the <laughs> thing uh, uh like a uh, karate kid three was made so uh ralph could buy his beach house and stuff like that he makes that joke so <laughs> and uh Zabka has, you know, been working for, you know, a long time and he's a producer yeah. and stuff. So, I mean, I think all the, at least I, I, I doubt the kids are all that wealthy and I'm sure they aren't more wealthy by making the show now that Netflix has bought it, they might be a little more wealthy, but I, I think uh, Ralph and uh, Zabka probably are doing okay. I know Elizabeth Shue is doing okay. Elizabeth Shue's doing just fine. Yes. Uh, I don't know about the Japanese actress, but, uh, uh, I, I'm assuming she's probably all right as well. She seemed to look pretty good, so I, she I, looked very good. So I'm very good. she's probably all right. I tell you, Zabka has become a much better actor. He was not yeah. a great teen actor. He is a much better actor as an adult. Well, I think he just got you know he got put into the. A, you know, the bully role. I mean, if you think of anything from the 80s, it was him as being the, uh, you know, heel bully in pretty much everything he did in the 80s. Now, while he probably didn't love that, especially when he gets typecast and probably couldn't get any roles in the 90s because of it, yeah. you know, it did give him acting work and he's probably making nice residuals off everything he did in the 80s. But yeah, I think he always could act. I think he just sort of got typecast into, you know, that kind of role where he's always the bad guy bully. And yeah. it's a little fun to sort of see him. Uh, I don't know if he's not a bad guy bully, but he's a little bit more well, fun in this one. <laughs> that's the best part is he is a really well-rounded character. Out of all of the characters that they show on Cobra Kai, it's, it's his character. It's Johnny Lawrence that you feel sorry for. Sometimes you don't like him. He's stuck in the 80s, and yet he does all right. I mean, I really think that he has the best written character on the show. Yeah, uh, 
I, I, especially season one, uh, he was easily my favorite part of season one. And then uh, definitely season two, he was still really good. And season three, when he makes the stupid Eagle Fang dojo and they have the Eagle Fang logo. I, I love oh, I Eagle Fang. I want an Eagle Fang Dojo uh, t-shirt. If I didn't think people would confuse it with like some sort of Leonard Skinner shirt, I definitely <laughs> would wear it around. Oh, he would like that if you confused it with a Leonard Skinner shirt. Yes, probably. but I wouldn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, Eagle Fang, awesome. What a, that's why you gotta love that character. They come up with the best writing for him. Daniel LaRusso is Daniel LaRusso. I mean, there isn't much they can do with that character, but Johnny Lawrence, they can do anything with that character. Yeah. Are you optimistic for uh, future seasons? The only thing, I... but huh. uh, we'll get into this probably also more with uh, our next show, Bridgerton, but um, <laughs> about three seasons, I start to wear down on these type of shows. I I agree with you. I I'm think excited that, because uh, Netflix has control, and I think their budget will be better, and they might be able to, you know, do more. But uh, we're starting to one run out of characters to bring back, unless we are going to bring back Elizabeth Shue uh, much more. <laughs> now I did did like the ending where we, uh, you know, harken back to Karate Kid three, and we're bringing in, you know, a new villain here. Yes. Um, yes. So we might not get quite as much crease and we get a sort of new bad guy. Now, granted, he's not much different than crease other than he's, no. <laughs> he, no. he's a little more uh, smarty rich uh, bad guy than uh, just uh, probably PTSD uh, Vietnam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, think, um, I think they are running out of material and I think that that will end up hurting them uh they can't they have to decide a little bit more which direction they're going to go into because between season one and season three they've really gone in very different directions and if they want to harken back towards season one i think that would be a great way to go but i'm not sure they're going to do that now i'm not sure netflix will do that well i i I am curious to see what Netflix will do to it, but I, I will say by the end of this one, I, I started to feel the, okay, uh, I think done. this thing has come full circle. It was a fun yep. ride and now uh, we are probably done, but uh, I, I will give it a, a chance, you know, with Netflix to see what sort of infusion we can get, at least money-wise. Oh, I'll, I'll watch it for sure, because but I, I, I don't sure know they, that they can... Had they a can huge really budget with YouTube. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my they, guess is, um, a I lot did of it was see. A did spin you see on at the at the end of uh, January? They were they put a call out for extras and actors in Atlanta because they were filming. Were you going to go down there and uh, audition? Yes, I pulled out my karate moves and I was ready to go. And then, you know, the extra COVID hit and I thought, well, I, I can't make it to Atlanta to try out for Cobra Kai. I could bring you in as a new sensei or maybe you could just grab one of the karate judge parts where you. Ooh, I would be good at that. Or, or uh, the council arguing for the matte color. I'm not so sure about the blue with the gold fist. I think we can do better. <laughs> probably so. That's that's what we can do. I I <laughs> guess there'll probably be some more school scenes. You could be a a principal in there or something. Oh. That seems like a pretty drab role. Man, I don't want to be typecast as a principal. <laughs> Come on. Yes, uh, I don't think any of us would probably want that one, but. Um, all right. What is your no, overall? Champ, aren't you going to come pick me up so we can we can go down there and become extras on the set? I don't want to be an extra on the set. That seems like a lot of standing and not <laughs> being paid a whole lot of money. <laughs> yeah, Ralph Macchio might, uh, might be like, you know, don't look me in the eyes. <laughs> I, I feel like Ralph's probably pretty laid back. Uh. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. <laughs> yes, I know. Oh, all right. So rating wise, what did you give Cobra Kai season three? I give 
season three, a 2.75. Oh, because really I, I thought that it just didn't live up to the other two seasons, even though I watch it again and I give season one, you know, almost a five because I yeah. thought season one was great. But by the time I finished season three, I was like, eh, I'm not sure I want to watch anymore. Yeah. I think if we're going overall series wise, I'd be in the very high threes to almost four range. I would agree with you on that. Complete series. This season, I I was probably more in your range of about 2.5, 2.7, you know, it has entertaining moments, but I definitely think the season sort of storyline dropped off quality a a bit. I agree. Yeah. I I, I thought that they just were, yeah, going in a bad direction. Hopefully, Season four will be back up to a four or a five. Definitely. All right. So before we get into our Super Bowl prop bets uh, next week or the week after, we're going to be doing Bridgerton. Is that correct? That's correct. I'm All sure right. you loved it. Well, I, I didn't mind it. Uh, <laughs> uh, the one after that, uh, the flight attendant, uh, I, I've minded a lot more and uh, possibly have not finished yet. And uh I'm trying to stall out before we get to that review because uh, that would mean I'd have to finish it. But it's a Golden Globe nominee. Yes, I know. I I think we'll also be getting on to the Golden Globe noms uh, next week as well. All right, so let's transition into it's Super Bowl week. We're going to bring you from the entertainment industry into the sports industry, though uh, the Super Bowl probably is more entertainment industry these days than sports industry (laughs) and get you into the Super Bowl prop bets. What sort of prop bets did you like this week? Well, champ, I think that during the pre-kickoff time, the team that will be shown first during the national anthem is Tampa. Oh, I'm in agreement. I like Tampa Bay as well. I, I figured they'd go with the old gate there and uh, flash at least Brady probably first before anything. Uh, I yeah. agree. It's going to be Brady. Then they got to show Gronk because they don't show Brady without Gronk. I mean, Gronkowski. <laughs> and then, uh, then, you know, maybe they'll cut to the Chiefs. Yeah. All right. You got any more uh, kickoff Coin toss, national anthem ones in there. I don't, but um, I suppose if you ask me something really important, I can come up with an answer. Heads or tails? <laughs> tails. Tails. All right. Moving on to game props. You got any game props you liked uh, for the Super Bowl? I think that the Chiefs will score on their first drive. But I think the bunk, the Buccaneers, the Bucks will punt on their first drive. Oh, awesome. Going both sides of the aisle on that one. Giving us the Bucks, what's going to happen. Giving us what the Chiefs is going to happen. All right. You bet. <laughs> are, there any, are there any more game props? Or are we on to the players? Oh, no. I've got some more game props. I think. Oh, my. She went into the game props. I did. I think that... Neither team will attempt a two-point conversion. Oh, see, I'm going the other way. We're in modern football now. They start going for twos in the second quarter. Nah, nope. Go for the sure points. You got to go for the points. I think if anybody has watched Buckner kick this year, though, I I don't know they're quite as sure as you think. (laughs) Oh, well, hmm. (laughs) that's true. I think that uh, there will be offsetting penalties called at least once during the oh, game. Oh, that's a fun one. That one will be an entertaining one to watch to see if it happens. You can get very excited when the offsetting penalties get called. <laughs> if there are any penalties called at all, they will be offsetting. <laughs> and I'm going out on a limb here. I think the Super Bowl MVP... We'll mention the coach. Oh, you're going coach. anyone else. Oh my. I had family. Some others had God. You're going coach first. Awesome. I'm going coach. <laughs> Definitely. I I think it will be although after today's news, 
Mahomes might not want to mention the name Reed, but yes, we'll go. We'll go with Coach. I'm going with Coach. I have to thank my coach. Then um, I go all the way to the halftime show. Uh-oh. You skip the players and go to the halftime show. Yeah. All right. Yeah. What do we got for the halftime show props? I think there will be fewer than eight songs played during halftime. Oh, you're going under eight songs. I am going under eight songs. There will be extended versions played, and there will be fewer than eight songs. All right. Under eight songs. What do you got next for the halftime show? Well, you know, the weekend has said that no one will appear with him, but I don't believe him. I think going with Ariana TV? Grande will be on the stage. <laughs> oh, you think Ariana Grande is going to be up there? I do. Uh, I think There's that too much might... testosterone. They got to have a woman in a tiny costume. I, I think that might cross like love lines, though. <laughs> well, it might. <laughs> and I think she will be the first of the celebrities to appear with him on the Oh my, you're going with a combo package there. I am. It's Ariana Grande or nothing. <laughs> then champ, I'm going straight to the commercials. Oh, I the commercials. All right. The commercials. Back into your your land, the entertainment industry. Well, I don't know if this is the entertainment industry. It's the advertising industry. But it's hand in hand with the entertainment industry. Well, I only have three picks for commercials today. I think the first Anheuser-Busch brand commercial will be for Bud Light Seltzer. Hey, we agree. We both are on that one. We we know the Bud Light Seltzer is being pushed hard these days. So It is. Gonna... <laughs> That is definitely going to be the first one. Will you be having a Bud Light Seltzer while you watch the Super Bowl? I will not be having a Bud Light Seltzer <laughs> while I watch the Super Bowl. Will I you? I will not as well. No, uh, <laughs> alcoholic water uh, is not my bag. <laughs> I, I, know, like... I think that is the strangest invention ever. Who wants alcoholic water? Oh, uh, I guess young people. I don't know. I haven't gotten into the seltzer water anyway without alcohol in it. So <laughs> making it taste even worse uh, sort of <laughs> boggles my mind. Do you taste the alcohol in the seltzer water? Uh, to be honest, I have not yet drank uh, any seltzer uh, alcohol yet. So uh, I have not either. I have We're not going either. to have to try one together sometime. Yes, I know. Well, I I think I'm aging out of that market. So uh, I, I aged out of that market a long time ago. Yes, I know. I, well, I got maybe the, I'm aging back in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're marketing the seltzer to you. <laughs> That's right. They want the middle-aged white women drinking their seltzer. Well, I, I think the white women part of it is probably true in the seltzer. <laughs> I got that part right. Okay, so in commercials, uh, it was Pringles versus, was it Hellman's? And I think Pringles will definitely be shown before Hellman's. Yes. All right. Pringles before Hellman's. I believe you're right. I think it was Pringles and Hellman's. And I think Frito-Lay and M&M's, it will be Frito-Lay. Because oh, Frito-Lay yeah. will show 900,000 commercials. Yes, definitely. All right. <laughs> Any more commercials? That's it for the commercials. Now we get to the really serious stuff, the wonkies. Yes, I know, the wonkies. It was Pringles and Tide. Tide. Oh, Tide. Oh, no way. It'll be Pringles. Way over Tide. <laughs> Not even close. I don't even know if there'll be a Tide commercial. I, I think they're an NFL sponsor, so my guess is that there will be a commercial. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Puppy Bowl winner. Puppy Bowl winner. Fluff? Team rough. Oh, you're going Team Rough. I'm oh, going Team Rough. Team? The local rough. dog. 
on <laughs> the Team local Rough. Did, I got to go Team Rough. Did you do a lot of investigative research into the Puppy Bowl and how it will play out? No. <laughs> <laughs> I did see the news talk about the local dog on Team Rough, though. <laughs> what are the they? The dog is named Quinn. What are they considering the local dog? Are we getting all the Virginia, Maryland, and DC area thrown in there, or are we a little? No, bit just more local? Baltimore. Just, <laughs> just Baltimore. Baltimore. <laughs> now, will it rain on the field during the game? I say no. Oh, going with a no rain in Florida—that's that's dangerous. I think the rain will happen before the game. Oh, oh, now you're predicting a time of the rain in Florida. <laughs> That's right. It will <laughs> rain in the afternoon, but it will not rain during the game. All right. No rain during the no game. No rain. Okay. This one I am going out on a limb. Who will tweet more during the game? I'm going with Giselle only because if Tom Brady has problems or someone drops a ball, she will start tweeting. I went with Giselle as well. Uh, <gasps> so, did. yes. I, I Brittany's don't think, younger. Yes, I know. Brittany's younger, but I, I think she cares less and she's a former athlete. So, <laughs> and uh, I doubt Bridget Moynihan probably even knows the Super Bowl's going on, other than her son is being probably pulled away from her. So, yeah, I don't know. Bridget's not going to tweet. Yeah, I don't think Bridget's going to tweet too much, other than maybe a whatever team is working on it, a congratulations if they win the Super Bowl. True. But Giselle, <laughs> I think Giselle's going to be in there tweeting. Yes, she'll be bored in a skybox somewhere, so she'll have to tweet. All yes. right. Is that all the props you had? No, I have oh. four more. Oh, my. You really went into the wonkies. I did. <laughs> I'm going deep. How many times will the Patriots be mentioned? Definitely more than two. Okay, over on Patriot mentions. All right. Oh, yeah, <laughs> not even a question. What will happen to the price of Bitcoin? Oh. Bitcoin will go down. Oh, Bitcoin will go down. Now she's reading the market, predicting the weather, now reading the market of fake currency. I do it all. I do it all, champ. <laughs> and... What color will the liquid that's poured on the coach be? It's going to be yellow, lime, oh, green. Going with the old school, the original. I went red. Red? red? No yeah. one drinks red Gatorade. The Chiefs are red. And the Bucks. No, yellow. Yellow. The players old don't drink classic. that red stuff. Yellow. And finally... What will be mentioned first? The number of Super Bowls Brady's been in or Brady's age? I'm going with age. I went with age as well. We're on the same plane there. All right. Although I actually think there's a distinct possibility they will be mentioned in the same sentence. Yes, I. that's what I gambled, that the opening words were going to be 43-year-old Tom Brady in his 10th Super Bowl. So I think it will, be a, very, think. It will be a very close race. <laughs> You have my picks. Those are the Super Bowl picks from Dr. M. Sage. We'll be back uh, next week sometime to do Bridgerton, our favorite show. Ooh, yes. Can't oh. wait. <laughs> so that's our show for the day. Be sure to follow all our podcasts on greenlightnetwork.org, the Greenlight Network on Facebook, or Greenlight Network on YouTube. All right, you can find me, GLNChamp5, on Twitter and Instagram. That's our show, and we're out.